Wasn't that great? Thank you so much, Grace. That was wonderful. Um, by the way, you probably have noticed by now, um, if, if you don't have children, you probably notice there are more children in our service than normal. We don't have child care tonight. And we just thought it would be kind of a cool thing for Christmas Eve. So as a result of that, um, if you have your kids with you and they make a little humming noise or they do this, or they, don't worry about it, okay? We're all, we're all growing up here. And, I mean, if you feel like you need to go back to the, to the cafe area, feel free to do that or whatever. But let's, don't get too – sometimes moms get a little paranoid about that. And I appreciate it, but at the same time, it's, that's the nature of our service tonight. So try not to be distracted. And if, you're, if your child is one of those that you think is a little distracting, we can deal with it, okay? I can assure you I can deal with it. So uh, next Sunday, by the way, for those of you who uh, didn't know, we're having just one service on New Year's Sunday, which is 11 a.m., just so you know that. We will have child care then for at least up through toddlers, so just so you know that. I really want to talk about the Christmas story tonight. It's just such a perfect time, obviously. Um, we, I sort of jokingly said earlier, you know, we call it the, I think Charlie called it the Super Bowl of, uh, of uh, Christmas holidays, and so to speak, and I suppose you could say that, but at the same time, you know, and you start talking, I, I, at one time I thought about, well, I could talk about some of the myths of Christmas, like it really wasn't in, in December, but who cares, you know, who cares about that? It was, it was probably in, in March or April, maybe October, but it, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what happened. I could talk about, well, you know, there really weren't three wise men. There were somewhere between two and 50. And it was, a, it was a several, several months or weeks after, after Jesus was born. But that's okay. We don't care. I don't want you to mess up your manger scene, so don't worry about it, all right? <laughs> just, just, it, that's not what's important. I want to read to you what I think is, is just one of the classic quintessential passages in Scripture that deals with the Christmas story in terms of who Jesus is. And I'm going to read through it and make some comments about this because our theme is, Tis the season to be watching. And one of the keys that I want you to think about as we read through this, and you'll be able to see it on the screen, um, one of the keys to be thinking, what are they watching for? What's going on here? More than just the obvious. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their uh, excuse me. All returned to their own towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, because he was in the ancestry of David. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée who was obviously pregnant by this time. I don't know if you realize this. Joseph and Mary were not yet married. Um, there's all kinds of terms in the, in the Greek that are used for that, but we will just say they were engaged, and, and obviously there had been no messing around, so to speak, okay? Um, not only was that, first of all, we're talking about Mary, the mother of, of Jesus here, but, but even in the culture, that certainly wasn't something that was uh, even... even uh, halfway tolerated. So that's a whole different thing. But so here, here, his fiance was obviously pregnant by this time, verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. Real quickly, this, the, uh, the strips of cloth, we are told, at that time they were wrapped around the children to make sure their arms and their limbs were, were, were stayed straight because they could, they could get uh, twisted around. 
When we talk about a manger and we talk about a barn or whatever you think of, let me explain to you very briefly because I've seen the exact kind of place. I've been to the birthplace of Jesus, which uh, as during the concert we learned and I experienced, you have to kind of bow down to get to it. But you really can't get the feel for what it's about because it's in this big cathedral and you got, I mean, the political situation is so bad there that, that Bethlehem, where the birth of Christ, the, 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 we believe the traditional site of the birth of Christ, that's really under Palestinian control. So you go from, from Israeli control to Palestinian control and you go through people with guns all over the place and you're like, this is a really worshipful experience for me, you know. And... Um, you know, so so it it's, it kind of loses. But we went out in the country to see what the kind of deal it really is. And it's not just a, 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 a one one Greek word is hostile, like a hostile. And what what it really is is in in those days you had houses that were almost what we would call sort of a semi-split level. You would walk into the house and you would step up, and that's where they lived. Underneath that area would be where they would keep their animals because their animals were very. That was a precious commodity. So as it were, you basically had animals, your, your animals in your house with you. They were on a different floor, the ground level, and just above that would be the stone floor, which is, which is where you lived. That's where they were, that type of a setting. And um, that's when we, so when he talks about there was no room for them in the village inn, there was, and somebody, somebody said, come on, stay with us, basically, and you can stay in our area where we keep our livestock. And there was livestock there. Verse 8, that night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and radiance from the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel reassured them, don't be, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, that means something to him. The Lord has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Some Bibles say swaddling clothes. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth to all whom God favors. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They ran into the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. Then the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them and because they had seen the child just as the angel had said. Now, I don't want to stop there. That's the end there, verse 20, as you can see. I don't want to stop there because we're going to skip just a couple of verses and we're going to come to this guy named Simeon. Very old man, very devout man. Man that had been, had been watching and waiting for the Messiah all of his life. I'll explain more of that in a moment, but, but watch what happens. If you were here this past Sunday, you heard me talk a little bit about this next passage. Verse 25. Now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Key phrase. Rescue Israel. 
We'll come back to it. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you promised me, I have seen the Savior. You have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing. But he will be the greatest joy to many others. So what was Simeon, what was his deal? What was he talking about? What was he watching for? What was he waiting for? What's the deal here? What's, what's going on with this whole thing? And he sees the Messiah. And if you notice back there that, that what I said we'd come back to, he says, the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And and, and basically, you need to understand that what Simeon was expecting, what Israel and Simeon were waiting for was this Messiah. Understand the history of Israel up to this point. Really, up until 1948. Many of our lifetimes. Not quite mine, but close. Um, Israel had been under bondage, under, uh, they'd been under slavery after, I mean, when you, at this particular writing, they're, of course, under, the sla- under slavery to Rome. But before that, you start looking at the history of Israel, and it's, it's Assyria, it's the Medes and the Persians, it's, uh, it's Babylon. I mean, it's just their whole history, and all their, their, all, every, every good little Jewish boy is taught in Sunday school, so to speak, in Hebrew school. He's taught, at this particular time, a Messiah's coming, a Messiah's coming. So they're thinking, this is going to be great. The Messiah is here. Now, here's what they're thinking, and I want to show you this in a moment. They're thinking, a Messiah is coming. He's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to make everything. I mean, he's going, to, he's going to be, excuse the terminology here. I think you'll understand. He's going to be the Rudy Giuliani of 9-11. He's going to be a hero. You know, that, that's kind of what they're looking for. Somebody to come in and say, baby, come on. Let's go. We're going to lead this, this country out of slavery. We're going to establish another kingdom. That's what they're looking for. That's why they're so excited. That's why they're singing out in the fields. The Messiah has come. They never expected it to be, even though the Old Testament prophesied of it. They never expected him to be or to come the way he did. Let me show you something. Just 700 years before Christ was born, there was a prophet by the name of Micah. Look what he wrote. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village in Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the time when the woman in labor gives birth to her son. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. They're still thinking, political, political. He's going to come and he's going to set Israel free. He's going to come and he's going to lead Israel in a way that's never been led before. That's that's the Messiah. Simeon knows this is the Messiah. God had something different in mind than what they thought. And this is where it gets a little little tricky. Let me show you what happened 200 years later, 500 years before Christ is born. Isaiah is talking. Look what he says in Isaiah chapter 2. The Lord will settle international disputes. 
All the nations will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. All wars will stop and military training will come to an end. Come, people of Israel, let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's what the Messiah is going to do. By the way, that verse or those verses, um, you probably know this. I don't know. I, for those of you who don't know, those of you who come here regularly know this, I do a, a prayer group in the UN once a month with some of the ambassadors and, and, and in the UN about once a month or, or, or more um, with them. And we do some other things with them just in terms of trying to, trying to help, trying to just be their friend and pray for them any way that we can. And every, every time I walk into the UN, right across First Avenue, right there, that, the little UN plaza, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, they have this verse that's in the King James Version. They'll, be, they'll beat their, they'll beat their uh, well, in this particular version, the way it puts it, they'll beat their plowshares into spears and into pruning hooks, and all wars will stop. They have that verse there. Many times I've wanted to go find the person responsible and say, do you know you dispensationally misinterpreted that verse? Do you know that? No, I don't know. Um, but they did, because that verse is talking about Jesus coming. But again, what's, it, what's, it, what's he going to do? Is he going to lead up a literal kingdom on earth? Or is he going to deal with people in their hearts, which is going to lead true revolution and renovation? The Messiah that the Jewish people at this time, and, and still some today, had been watching and waiting and looking for in their minds was going to set right, set right to all the injustices of the world. He's going to, he was going to be political, philosophical, sort of a political, philosophical, spiritual superhero of epic proportions. That's what they were looking for. In fact, let me quote, let me show you this from a professor at, of... Um, Jewish history and so forth in Connecticut College. Watch this. The emphasis in Judaism is on the notion of peace and justice between the nations. And the reason the Jews don't believe Jesus was the Messiah is they don't believe he brought about such changes. What's weird about this, even the apostles in the, in the New Testament were thinking, Jesus. even after Jesus had gone through everything that he'd gone through and had been tortured and, and gone to the cross and and then... And, 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 sent to the tomb and raised from that. Even then they thought, okay, now's the time. He's going to set up a kingdom. Let me show you this in the, in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? Now is now Because Jesus is about ready to, to ascend into heaven to be with God. And the, and the apostles are saying, okay, now's the time. You're going you're gonna to take control here. We're going to conquer the Romans and we're going to have our own country and, and, and it's going to, you're going to have a kingdom here on earth. Right, Jesus? What does Jesus say? Verse 7, the Father sets those dates, he replied. They are not for you to know, but when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and will tell people and about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Little, let me give you a little, real quick, it's a good night to do it. Let me give you a little parenthetical theological point here, okay? Don't want to get too heavy, but, but you can think about this. All right, talk about this over Christmas dinner. Um, will Jesus eventually set up a kingdom here on earth? This is a huge debate. I mean, there's, in, the, in theology schools and seminaries and Bible colleges, I have been in some phenomenal debates on this. And, and really, Christendom is divided right down the middle. They say the kingdom that Jesus is going to set up is in your heart. There's another side that says... I believe that, but he's also someday in the future going to set up a literal reign, R-E-I-G-N, a literal kingdom here on earth as well. 
Do you believe? And, and, and there's, you, you basically have most of, pro, well, most of, of Christianity, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, kind of split. Do you believe that Jesus is going to set up a literal kingdom or do you believe that the kingdom is strictly in the heart? And, and I'll tell you, if you are familiar with this huge, it's still on the time, New York Times bestselling list, that, that whole series of books um, um, left behind is taking the viewpoint, whether you like it or agree with it or don't agree with it, I don't really care, but it's just so you'll know, it's taking the viewpoint that Jesus someday will set up a literal kingdom here on earth. Here's what we all can agree on. By the way, in this church, we have people from both sides of that, and I think that's the way you should be. Because that's a, huge, that's a huge dividing factor. I don't think you should divide over that. I love to debate it. I'll let you figure out where I am someday. But um, here's the point on this. Here's what we all do know. Those of us who are followers of Christ. He at least is talking about that this kingdom is one of the heart. And so what, what, what the Jewish people miss then, people miss, whether they're Jewish or, or, or anything else today, Gentile or whatever, many times miss today, that Jesus is still looking to set up at least one kind of kingdom, the kingdom in your heart. And that's what Christmas is all about. And that's why, that's why it's, you know, God changed the world in a most radical and unexpected way, way back when. And you know what? God is still changing the world radically and in most very unexpected ways, isn't he? You know, the message of Christmas, and this is, this is please hear this, the message of Christmas is God came to earth to be the redeemer of mankind. He, he came to totally change to radically change people's lives, their values, their way of operating. It's no longer just about me. It's about honoring God and others. The two most important commands that Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as yourself. And just like, and I want to say this very carefully, and I wrote a couple notes down, and I don't want to miss them. Because just like the first Christmas that we're celebrating, reading in Acts chapter, Luke chapter 2, people still miss the whole point of Jesus coming. They're looking for bells and whistles and pomp and circumstance and rituals. Nothing wrong with rituals, certainly. When, what God wants is he wants to begin a process. He wants to begin a process that will be a total renovation of a life when he comes into that life. When that person says, God, I want to I trust you with whatever I have here. Whatever you call that, whatever that means, I want to trust you with my life. Somebody told me recently, he says, do you, do you know what my prayer of faith was? And I said, no, I'd love to hear it. And he said, my prayer, when I came to the grips to understand that there was a God in heaven and he had a son whose name was Jesus, my prayer was, God, I don't know what they call you. I just want to give my life to you. And I want to trust you. I said, you know, that works. There doesn't have to be some prescribed prayer. Maybe of a process where I just come to that. Maybe it may come to a time. It's a great night, great Christmas Eve night to say, you know what? Right now, I want to just... Say, God, I want to I begin that process 
Some of us will say, Lord, I really want to renew that process. Just right here, talking to God as we pray. You can do that just in, in the privacy of your own heart and mind. It's a great time to think about it at Christmas, that Jesus, the Messiah, came to set people free, all of us. And it's an inside job. It's not external. It's not political. It's an inside job. It's God working inside of us, a relationship with our Creator that comes and is made possible through Christ who came on this day that we celebrate as Easter. Let's pray together. Lord, we are especially thankful for your grace, for your love, for your coming for us. And Lord, just like the the people 2,000 some years ago, I pray, Lord, that as you speak to us and deal with us in some of these unexpected ways that that uh, we wouldn't miss the fact that, that you desire to, to at least set up a kingdom in our heart and in our lives that we could have a relationship with you and that you'll renovate and work in our lives to make us be- become what you want us to be as people who are people of faith in Christ. We thank you for that. I pray for each person here tonight, God. I pray for a special blessing upon each one. Pray for a special understanding that that this is terrific. To come and just celebrate that that you came, that we have a relationship with God because of Jesus. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.